You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. This is a reading of uh, the collection of lectures by Rudolf Steiner entitled The Fifth Gospel from the Akashic Record. This is Lecture 2, given in Oslo on the 2nd of October, 1913. We will begin today by turning our thoughts to the event known as Pentecost. I said in my first lecture that clairvoyant research may first be directed to this event. For as we look into the past, it presents itself as a kind of awakening experienced by those who are generally known as the apostles or disciples of Christ Jesus. It is not easy to form clear and precise ideas of all these phenomena, for they are undoubtedly strange. And to get a true idea of everything that will be said in today's lecture in particular, we shall need to recall from deep down in our hearts and souls some of the things we have learned from our anthroposophical studies. The apostles felt at that moment as if they were waking from a state of consciousness that had been different from the usual. It was indeed a kind of awakening from a deep sleep, though this was a peculiar dream-filled sleep, a sleep the nature of which was such, I must stress that I am always presenting this as it appeared to the apostles themselves, that they still went around as normal human beings, performing their daily tasks. Other people would not even notice that they were in a different state of consciousness. Yet a moment came when it seemed to the apostles that for a long time, for days, They had lived in a dream-filled sleep from which they now awoke. And with this awakening came a very special feeling. They felt as if something had come to them from the universe, which we can only call all-prevailing love. They felt as if they were quickened by that love coming from above, as if they had been raised from their dreamlike state, It was as if all the original power of love that exists in the universe, giving it warmth, had roused them from their sleep. As if this original power of love had entered into the soul of each and every one of them. And the people who were able to observe them as they spoke found them completely changed. They knew them to be individuals who had lived an extremely simple life until now though some of them had behaved in a rather strange manner for some days, as if lost in a dream. People had been aware of this. Now, however, they seemed transformed, like individuals who had really and truly entered into a completely new state of mind, a new soul mood. It seemed they had left behind all narrowness and self-seeking and gained infinite greatness of heart, complete inner tolerance and real heartfelt understanding 
of all that is human on earth. They were able to express themselves in a way that everyone who was there could understand. People felt that the apostles were able to see into everyone's heart and soul and read their deepest innermost secrets and were therefore able to comfort every individual saying exactly what each person needed. It certainly seemed most strange to those observers that a group of people could change in this way. The individuals who had been transformed, having been aroused by the spirit of cosmic love, now felt a new understanding for events in which their souls had been closely involved, but which they had not been able to understand at the time. Now, quickened by cosmic love, understanding dawned in their souls of what had happened on Golgotha. Let us look into the soul of one of the apostles, the one who is generally called Peter in the other Gospels. When his inmost soul is revealed to clairvoyant vision, it appears that his normal, earthbound consciousness had ceased completely at the moment which in the other Gospels is usually called the denial. He now looked back to the scene where he had been asked if he had any connection with the Galilean and knew that he had denied this at the time because his normal consciousness was beginning to fade and an abnormal state was developing, a kind of dream state in which he was transported into another world. Now at Pentecost he felt the way we feel when we wake up in the morning and recall the events that occurred before we went to sleep the night before. Peter recalled the events that happened just before the abnormal condition developed. He remembered the denial, as it is generally called, the threefold denial before the cock crowed twice. And he remembered that a condition had developed in his soul that was like the spreading of night when we go to sleep. He also remembered that this intermediate state had been filled not with mere dream images, but with forms that represented a higher state of consciousness in which he had shared in the experience of purely spiritual affairs. Peter had, as it were, slept through everything that happened since, and this now came before his mind's eye as though in a clairvoyant dream. Above all, he learned to behold one event of which we can truly say that he slept through it. He had not been able to follow it with his mind at the time, for full understanding was only possible once he had been quickened by the all-prevailing cosmic love. Now, however, the images of the mystery of Golgotha appeared to him, which we too can perceive if we create the conditions that enable us to call them to mind by looking back with clairvoyant vision. Frankly, it is a strange feeling when one decides to put into words what reveals itself to clairvoyant consciousness as one looks into the mind of Peter and the others who had gathered for the Whitsun festival. The decision to speak of this can only be taken with holy awe and respect.
one gets an overpowering feeling of stepping on to the most holy soil of human perception when attempting to express in words what reveals itself to the inner eye, Hiwai. However, conditions are such at the present time that it seems necessary to speak of these things, knowing, of course, that times will come when people will have greater understanding for what has to be told of the fifth gospel. Much of what has to be said today will only be understood when the human mind and soul are able to free themselves from all kinds of things that currently must of necessity fill them. Looking back clairvoyantly to the event on Golgotha, we first of all perceive something which seems like an insult to the modern scientific mind when it is put into words. I nevertheless feel compelled to put into words, to the best of my ability, what presents itself to clairvoyant vision, and I shall not be able to help it if what has to be said were to go beyond this room and reach less well-prepared minds and souls. With the whole, perhaps, blown out of proportion as something that cannot stand up to the dominant scientific thinking of our age. The clairvoyant eye, first of all, sees an image representing a fact which is also referred to in the other Gospels, but appears in a very special way when we see it emerge, as it were, from the vast abundance of images that present themselves. One sees a kind of darkening of the earth. One feels that at this significant moment, which continued for hours, the physical sun was darkened over Palestine and over Golgotha. The impression is the same as when an external physical eclipse of the sun darkens the land, something which vision schooled in spiritual science can confirm today. To the inner eye, Iwai, the whole area around the human being looks as follows during a partial or full solar eclipse. Everything looks different. I want to leave aside the aspect presented by everything produced by human skills and industry. It needs some strength of character and full awareness of the fact that all these things had to develop, to behold without flinching the spirits arising from industrially produced objects which are devoid of art. I will not go into this, but merely tell you that at such a time nature shows itself full of light in a way normally only seen after extremely difficult meditation work. All plant and animal life, every bird, every butterfly, looks different. You note that the feeling of vitality is reduced. A deep conviction can arise that a life of the spirit connected with the sun, the physical body of which may be said to be the sun we see in the heavens, is intimately bound up with all life on earth. The feeling arises that when the physical radiance of the sun is forcibly darkened as the moon moves between sun and earth, this is something entirely different from nighttime when the sun is merely not shining. It feels as if the group souls of plants and animals were arising, while living physical bodies grow limp and feeble everything spiritual, representing group-soul nature, 
seems to light up. When the clairvoyant eye looks back to the moment in earth evolution we call the mystery of Golgotha, it sees something very close to the above. And then something evolves, which we may call learning to read, to decipher the real meaning of this strange sign created by the sudden darkening of the sun in nature. I really cannot help it, but I am forced to read an entirely natural event, the kind of thing that has also happened before and since, exactly as it presents itself, which does, of course, go against current materialistic thinking. It is like opening a book and reading the print. You feel as if something is presented in a written character which is there for you to read. This particular character in the cosmos says it is necessary to read something that needs to be made known to humanity. It is like a word written in the cosmos, like a phonetic symbol. What do you read there as you open yourself up to it? Yesterday I spoke of how in the ancient Greek period the intellectual aspect of the human soul had reached a high point in Plato and Aristotle. In many respects, the insights gained by those two philosophers could not be surpassed in later times, for intellectual development had, in a way, reached a zenith. We can realize a great deal if we truly recognize this. When someone with clairvoyant perception who has directed his vision to Palestine notes how the intellectual knowledge which humanity had developed had been immensely popularized by itinerant preachers and how it spread abroad in a way we cannot even imagine today, then the impression may develop that one is reading one of the written characters placed in the cosmos of which I have spoken. You realize that the moon, as it is seen moving in the universe from the earth, is the character or symbol representing everything the human race has gathered by way of knowledge, the high level of knowledge achieved in pre-Christian times. The moon is the symbol for when it comes to gaining higher insight, such knowledge did not cast light on things or solve riddles, as it were, but brought darkness just as the moon darkens the sun during a solar eclipse. This, then, is what you read in the occult symbol of the sun darkened by the moon. As a clairvoyant, you feel that the higher, truly spiritual regions of the world are obscured by the knowledge of ancient times, for this has put itself in front of true perception, just as the moon goes in front of the sun in an eclipse. The outer event in nature gives expression to the fact that humanity had reached a level where knowledge that had come from humanity itself had obscured insight into higher things. You feel that the darkening of the human soul in the course of evolution, earth evolution, was written in the cosmos as a tremendous occult character at the time of the mystery of Golgotha. As I have said, a modern mind may feel insulted when such things are said, because people no longer understand the way spiritual powers are active in the universe, powers connected with the powers in the human soul. 
I do not wish to speak of miracles in the usual way, of going against the laws of nature, but I cannot but tell you how we should read that darkening of the sun. We can do no other but stand before that darkening of the sun as if we were reading what this natural event brought to expression. Moon knowledge cast darkness on the higher message of the sun. Once you have read that occult script, there appears to clairvoyant consciousness the image of the cross raised on Golgotha, of the body of Jesus hanging on it between the two thieves. And you perceive the image. Perhaps I may be permitted to add that the more you resist the image, the more forcibly it presents itself, of the body being taken from the cross and placed in the tomb. Then a second tremendous symbol appears, for again something is written in the cosmos which has to be read and understood, a symbol of what truly happened at this point in human evolution. You look at the image of Jesus taken down from the cross and placed in the tomb, and as you direct the mind's eye to this, you are shaken through and through inwardly by an earthquake which passed through that region. It is possible that the connection between the darkening of the sun and the earthquake will one day also be understood more clearly in scientific terms. Theories are already in existence, though they lack cohesion, that there is a connection between solar eclipses, earthquakes, and even fire damp in mines. The earthquake in Palestine was a consequence of the darkening of the sun. It shook the tomb in which the body of Jesus had been laid, and the stone covering and the stone covering it was wrenched away. A fissure opened and the corpse was received into this. Further tremors caused the fissure to close up again over the corpse. When people got there in the morning, the tomb was empty for the earth had received the dead body of Jesus. Only the stone remained, flung some distance. Let us consider the sequence of images once more. Jesus died on the cross on Golgotha. Darkness fell on the earth. The dead body of Jesus was placed in an open tomb. A tremor shook the ground, and the dead body of Jesus was taken up into the earth. The fissure, opened by the tremor, closed. The stone was hurled aside. Those were actual events. I can do no other but describe them. People wishing to approach these things on the basis of modern science may think what they like, offering all kinds of reasons against this. The clairvoyant eye sees what I have described. If someone were to say it was impossible for a tremendous sign language to arise out of the cosmos, presenting a symbol to indicate that something new had come in human evolution, if someone were to say the divine powers do not inscribe events in the earth in characters such as a darkening of the sun and an earthquake, all I would be able to say in reply would be, I respect your belief that such things cannot be, but they have nevertheless happened. 
I can well imagine someone like Ernest Renan, author of that strange work titled A Life of Jesus, saying, quote, We don't believe such things, for we only believe things that can be experimentally reproduced at any time. Close quote. Renan's thinking does not stand up to examination, however, for surely he would have believed in the Ice Age, even though we cannot experimentally reproduce it. It is certainly quite impossible to bring back the Ice Age, but all scientists believe that it happened. It is also not possible for the cosmic sign which appeared with the event of Golgotha ever to appear again, but it did appear then. We can only penetrate to this event by the clairvoyant route I have indicated if we first of all enter into the soul of Peter or one of the other apostles who felt their spirit quickened by all prevailing cosmic love at Pentecost. Looking into their souls provides a roundabout route to seeing the cross raised on Golgotha, the darkening of the earth and the tremors that followed. There is no denying that on the surface the darkening and the tremors were entirely ordinary natural occurrences. But for anyone with clairvoyant vision, those events read the way I have described them, as tremendous symbols of occult writing. This must be emphatically stated by someone who has created the necessary conditions in his soul. For Peter, the events I have described have indeed crystallized out in the process of a long sleep. Scenes standing out from the many images that went through his conscious mind showed the cross raised on Golgotha, for instance, the darkening and the tremors. Those were the first fruits of being quickened with the all-prevailing cosmic love at Pentecost. At that moment he knew something he really had not known before, in his normal state of consciousness, that the event of Golgotha had occurred and that the body hanging on the cross was the one by whose side he had often walked in his life. Now he knew that Jesus had died on the cross and that his dying had really been a birth, the birth of the Spirit, which had now poured as all-prevailing love into the souls of the apostles as they gathered at Pentecost. Like a ray of eternal everlasting love, the spirit that had been born when Jesus died on the cross awoke in Peter's soul. A tremendous truth came to him. The death on the cross was only apparent. In reality, this death, preceded by infinite suffering, was the birth for the whole earth of the spirit that had entered his soul like a ray. With the death of Jesus, the all-prevailing cosmic love which before had existed everywhere outside the earth had been born to the earth. These words may be easily said in an abstract way, but we really need to enter into Peter's soul for a moment to know what he felt for the first time at that moment. When Jesus died on the cross at Golgotha, Something was born to the earth that before had existed only in the cosmos. 
The death of Jesus of Nazareth was the birth of an all-prevailing cosmic love within the earth's sphere. This is the first thing we can read in the fifth gospel. It is the event referred to as the descent or pouring out of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. The Apostles' state of soul at the time was such that they could only participate in the death of Jesus of Nazareth in an abnormal state of consciousness. Peter and John and James, too, had to recall another moment in life. This is also described in the other Gospels, but only the fifth Gospel can show its full significance. The individual with whom they had walked on earth had taken them to the Mount of Olives, to Gethsemane, and asked them to watch and pray. They had fallen asleep, however. Now they realized that even then their souls had begun to enter into a state that gradually spread more and more. Normal consciousness went to sleep. They entered a sleep state that continued throughout the event on Golgotha, and from which shown the images I have tried to describe in halting words. Peter, John, and James had to realize how they had fallen into the dream state, and now, as they looked back, the great events began to emerge which had happened in connection with the earthly body of the individual with whom they had walked the earth. As forgotten dreams may slowly come back to mind, so the days that lay behind came back to the minds and souls of the apostles. The whole period they had lived through from the event on Golgotha to Pentecost had been lost deep down in their souls, and they now felt it to have been like a period of profound sleep. Especially the ten days from Ascension, as it is called, to Pentecost appeared to them to have been a period when they were fast asleep. Looking back, the time between the mystery of Golgotha and Ascension of Christ Jesus began to come to mind again, one day after the other. They had shared in the experience, but it only came to mind now, and it did so in a very strange way. Forgive me if I make a personal remark at this point. I have to confess that I was tremendously surprised to perceive how the events they had lived through between the mystery of Golgotha and Ascension rose up in the souls of the Apostles. It is truly remarkable how this happened. Image after image came up in the Apostles' souls, and these images said to them, Yes, you were together with the one who died or was born on the cross. You knew him. Just as we recall our dreams when we wake in the morning, knowing that in our dream we were in the company of some person or other, so the memories came up like dreams in the apostles' souls. The way in which individual events came, to, came back to mind was very strange, however. Again and again they had to ask themselves, quote, But who was it with whom we went? Close quote. Again and again they would fail to recognize him. They were aware of him as a spiritual figure. They knew for certain 
that they had gone about with him in their sleep-like state. But they did not recognize him in the form which appeared to them now, that they had been quickened with all-prevailing love. They saw themselves walking with the one we call the Christ after the mystery of Golgotha. They also saw that he had truly been giving them direct instruction about the realm of the Spirit. And they came to understand that, for forty days, they had walked with the Spirit who had been born on the cross, that this Spirit of all-prevailing love, which had been born to the earth from the cosmos, had been their teacher. They knew that in their normal state of consciousness they would not have been ripe to understand what this Spirit had to say, that they had to take it in with subconscious powers of soul, that they had walked beside the Christ like sleepwalkers and would have been unable to take in what he had to give at their ordinary level of understanding. During those forty days they had listened to him at a level of consciousness that was unknown to them, and this only came to them now, when they had gone through the Pentecost event. Their spiritual teacher had taught them secrets they had only been able to understand because he transported them to a different state of consciousness. Now they saw that they had walked with the risen Christ, but were only now able to realize what had happened to them. The question is, how did they realize that this was truly the one who before the mystery of Golgotha had walked with them in a physical body? Let us assume that an image of this kind had come before the soul of one of the apostles after Pentecost. He would see how he had walked with the risen Christ, who had been his teacher, but he would not recognize him. Then another image would arise and merge with the first, purely spiritual image, representing something the apostles had really and truly gone through with Christ Jesus before the mystery of Golgotha. In one sense they felt as if they were receiving instruction in the secret of the Spirit from Christ Jesus. They did not recognize him, however, but felt they were standing face to face with a spiritual entity who was instructing them. To enable them to recognize this entity, the image was transformed, while continuing to be the same, into the scene of the Last Supper they had shared with Christ Jesus. Really, try to imagine how such an apostle would have the supersensible experience with the risen Christ before his mind's eye, and also, seemingly in the background, the image of the Last Supper. Only then would the apostles realize that it was the same individual with whom they had once walked in a physical body, who, now as their teacher, had the completely different form which he had assumed after the mystery of Golgotha. Memories from the state of mind that was like a sleep state merged completely with memories that had gone before. It was like two images superimposed on each other, one showing experiences they had after the mystery of Golgotha, the other showing events they had known before that 
light and which now shone through, as it were. Maybe that again. It was like two images superimposed on each other, one showing experiences they had after the mystery of Golgotha, the other showing events they had known before that and which now shone through, as it were, from the time before their consciousness had been dimmed down to the point where they no longer experienced what was happening around them. In this way they realized that the two entities belonged together, the risen Christ and the individual with whom they had walked around in a physical body only a relatively short time ago. They now said to themselves, quote, Before we woke up, quickened with all-prevailing cosmic love, it was as if we had been taken out of our normal state of consciousness. And the risen Christ was with us. He received us, who were unknowing, into his realm, walked with us, and revealed the secrets of his realm. Now, after the mystery of Pentecost, those secrets come to normal consciousness, like something experienced in a dream. This is something to fill us with wonder and awe. An image representing an experience the apostles had with the Christ after the mystery of Golgotha would always come together with an image of an event they had known in the ordinary way, with Christ Jesus in a physical body during the time before the mystery of Golgotha. We have now made a beginning with reporting what can be read in the fifth gospel. At the end of what I had to say today, I may perhaps be permitted to make a few personal remarks, things that have to be said in relation to these facts. I feel it my occult duty to speak of these things now, What I wanted to say is the following. I know only too well that we are living in an age when much is in preparation for the immediate future of humanity here on earth, and that within our anthroposophical society, as it has now become, we have to feel ourselves to be people who have some idea that something has to be prepared for the future in human souls. I know there will be times when it will be possible to speak about these things in a very different way than is possible today, for we are all children of our age. In the near future it will, however, be possible to speak more precisely, and some of the things that can now only be touched on lightly will be seen far more clearly in the spiritual record of evolution. It may seem improbable, but those times will come. Nevertheless, and especially for this reason, it is to some extent my duty to speak of these things now, somehow by way of preparation. It has not been easy for me to speak on the subject, but my obligation to the preparation that has to be done came first. It is for this reason that I have spoken to you on this particular subject, which is for the first time. Please take everything I have to say on this particular occasion as a kind of hint. It will undoubtedly be possible to put it in a better and more precise way in future. You may find it easier to understand why I say it has been an effort 
if you permit me not to withhold a personal remark. I am fully aware that in the science of the spirit to which I am devoting myself, it is initially extraordinarily difficult and requires much effort to gain things of this kind from the spiritual record. I would not be surprised if the word hint I have used did turn out to be much more meaningful and significant than we need to consider for the moment. At the present time, I certainly cannot say exactly what the spiritual record contains, for I experience all kinds of problems and difficulties when seeking to gain images relating to the secrets of Christianity from the Akashic record. It is an effort to achieve the necessary density of the images and hold on to them, and I feel it may be karma that I am given the duty to say what I am saying now. I am certain it would have required less effort if, like many people today, I had received a truly Christian education in early youth. I did not have this. I grew up in an entirely free-thinking environment, and my studies also went in that direction. My higher education was purely scientific. Because of this, I now have some trouble finding the things of which I am obliged to speak. Perhaps I may make such a personal comment for two reasons. In the first place, because people with a peculiar lack of conscience have put about the stupid, ridiculous tale that I have Roman Catholic connections. Not a word of this is true, and it is easy to see the pass to which things have come in the movement which generally calls itself theosophy, for it is there that such shameful statements and rumors are generated. We are compelled, however, not to let this pass lightly, but to present the truth. And because of this I feel it is permitted to make this personal comment. The other reason is that, exactly because I was not connected with Christianity in my young days, I am much less biased toward it. Having come to Christianity and to the Christ through the Spirit, I believe I can claim freedom from bias and prejudice and therefore have the right to make statements on the subject. At the present point in world history, people may feel able to place more reliance in the words of someone who has had scientific training and was not connected with Christianity than in the words of someone who has been connected with it from his earliest youth. Nor do I think that Christianity will lose anything from being presented at a deeper level by someone who only found his way to it out of the Spirit. If you take my word seriously, you will get a hint of what lives within me now when I now speak of the secrets of the fifth gospel. The end of lecture two.